Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Our guest this week is Randy Regeer. Randy is an artist living and working in Kansas City, Kansas. Randy's lived on both coasts over his life, but has settled in the middle because it's a good place to live on the least amount of money in order to make the most amount of things. I love that kind of optimization. And uh, Randy, I, I am so glad to have you on the show. I've been a huge, huge fan of your work and art for oh, a really long time now. And so it's great to have you on the show. I am so delighted that you are able to join us and to share with us some surprising things, which we don't know about, I'm sure. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you both and, and all. It's just a real honor. And Mark, it's a pleasure to, and, uh, and an honor to be uh, asked to do this as well, because uh, you've, I've been a real beneficiary of your, of your generosity in exposing my work to others. So I appreciate it greatly. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I just... The, the kind of stuff you do is perfect, like that that fake store, the the New Pennies Last Stand, which was a store you set up somewhere in the Midwest. It's just as beautiful, looked like a kind of a a nineteen uh, thirties Art Deco architecture. And you couldn't go in the store; you could just peer through the window. No one's allowed in, and you just saw your work in there. It was just amazing. Well, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So, so Randy, tell us about. Uh, some of your tools. So the first one uh, are three books. Uh, we'll share the photos. They're they're well-worn, well-read uh, <laughs> paperbacks that have really great kind of mid-century design going on. Tell us about yeah. the books. Yeah. So the books, <clears throat> one could be under the impression looking at them that they're that that the reason I have them is for the covers, uh, <laughs> which would which would be reason enough actually. Um, I, I I didn't actually buy them. For those covers, I bought them for the titles, and um, and I've read them, and a couple of them I've read two or three times. But it's like they say, you can't step into the same river twice. What I one of the things that's uh, sort of profound about those three books is that each time, every two or three years that I return to them, um, I'm not the exact same person, and I have a different experience reading them. Um, I see things in there that maybe I missed or didn't wasn't ready to read the first mm -hmm. time. So that you've got the Johan Huizinga, uh, the Homo Ludens, the, the the book about play and culture. And one of the things that, um, the, in my experience and from my my point of view and making, and is play. We don't maybe don't speak about play as much as I wish we did, or it's it's devalued. Play is considered something that's done when we're not being serious about our lives, and uh, and I find play to be. Um, a reason for living <laughs> without play. I don't know why I would want to be, uh, why I would even want to be here. I mean, I, I take play very seriously. And at the same time, it, it is, it's fragile and it can be very brief and it's beautiful. And, uh, and that book is a, just a really um, uh, elegant uh, look into what play, the, what the real value of play is and, and, and animals and humans and what have you. 
And um, I just and when was the book written? Just so I have, it looks like it was ancient, written maybe centuries ago. Yeah, is it sort of um, up? Does does it feel current? All these books are modernist, right? They're they're ancient by by contemporary standards in the sense that there's a lot of people feel we've moved beyond uh, these these writers. I don't wouldn't agree with that. 1950 is the first okay the first issue. So. Um, but yeah, there's just some really beautiful lines in it, but mostly uh, it just talks about play in such a, in a, such a way that it, it, it lifts it from just the the, the one dimensional or two dimensional way that it tends that the word tends to get used in our culture uh, and 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 elaborates or uh, elucidates the real critical value of it, and um, and I since so much of my work appears to be toys or our toys, depending on how you look at my work. Um, it's, it's hard for me to, it's pretty much impossible for me to go through a career of making things about toys and not having to deal with the word play. And, <laughs> um, and so, uh, so to be able to make it more dimensional and, uh, wheezing as writing has, has really helped with that. Okay. Um, the, uh, another book, the future is history by Robert Heilbroner. That's, I think, 1960. So it's much newer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we're getting contemporary. We're really getting into contemporary stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 1959. And that book is profound, or this, I'm holding it. So this book is profound in that um, I would urge people to read it now that are having difficulty with the current times, which may be a majority of persons. Thinking that this is all rather new set of series of events, this um, the degradation of the American dream, uh, a lot of it having to do with finally looking at it, really looking at what the American dream has is or is is not. But Heilbroner in, the, in about 1959 or 60, he he saw very clearly where where this was all headed, and uh, and he talks uh, one of the most profound things in this book was he. He talks about the American experience as sort of based on this notion of eternal optimism, which no other nation in the world was part of their DNA. <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and 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 the art of any and he talked about that this this probably couldn't last, and um, and when at some point Americans would have to face the reality that that optimism doesn't always get you there, and the book is wildly um, in my reading of it recently it's wildly relevant in this moment wildly mm -hmm. relevant and and um prescient and i don't know much about heilbroner so i'm not qualified to speak about the author in terms of like a scholar might but that book is is just really uh, frankly it's comforting <laughs> um because it takes some of the shock and the sting out of the present and and mm -hmm. and, and if you and if you could sort of it, maybe it dilutes it or it gives longer legs to this dark passage that that we're uh, sort of navigating together. Well, that's mm -hmm. interesting. And Kevin kind of has that view of like long-term optimism in that if you, it, it's easy to get pessimistic in the, the short term, but over the long term, uh, history has shown that things really are getting right. better. For I, ca I call it protopia, meaning that there's only this 1% betterment that you can, can't yeah. see unless you look in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you might find that Halbroder book relevant to that, and it 
it, it's I need to find that somewhere because it's really hard to come by. And I'm not the eternal optimist, but I need to I need to behave in an optimistic way in order to be any, of any use to my 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 kids and my family and my colleagues. Um, dystopia. If I choose the dystopian path. Um, it's frankly, it's the easier way to go, but it's, uh, I just, um, I'm just not of much use, uh, to to the culture that way. And I do like to feel useful. I don't need to feel important, but I like to feel useful, (laughs) (laughs) which is good. That's well put. (laughs) But I like to feel useful. Um, right, right. And uh, if I can generate some sort of, uh, sense that, well, yeah, in, in 50 years, things will be uh, a tenth of a percent improved. I'll take that. I mean, yeah, 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 exactly. It's I'll, the same. Take, so, I'll take it. That's all we need because it can be compounded. And you yeah. know, if you have a 1% compounded, you can, you can become quite yeah. successful. So, right. Um, uh, like office space or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 uh, so tell us about um, uh, uh, your second tool. Okay, and then the second. Oh, yeah, and then there was a Shape of Time by Kubler, but that's all in there. People can look that up. Right. Uh, what was the second tool? Was it that that um, drill? It's a driver. I yeah. think it's a driver. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a pretty you know nothing exotic about that tool, but but I was thinking pragmatically too because I'd rather I you know prefer to talk about books and theories. You'd rather be useful, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Like, what do they need from me? <laughs> oh, oh, I don't have that. Oh shoot, I'll pretend I don't have Google Chrome. Um, no, <laughs> no, it was, um, that, that tool, I have a lot of hand tools, a lot of that has to do with coming out of industry and being back in industry because of COVID and stuff and needing them to survive. But some tools you just, the more you use them, the more you realize you, you don't, you can't, you, you that they just enable you to just be so wildly productive when you have the good fortune to be in a really productive groove and things are going and you've got more ideas like I, I get in a situation where I have these ideas that I can't wait to make manifest and and there're x amount of hours in a day and tools are those uh, the right tools are the things that enable me to be to 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 uh, realize my best intentions and that uh is a large words to or it's sort of a, a profound statement to try to apply to a Makita drill driver but I use that thing for so many different processes and it's so whoever made it, it was so it's just so perfectly uh, what's the old phrase the hammer the the hammer forms the hand I think it is where the right tool can lead you to be more competent by mm-hmm. by, by drawing you into it it's, it's it's a really quality tool can improve you as a human and your capacities and I really feel that way about that drill it's it's it fits my hand beautifully it's got that w- wonderfully thoughtful LED light <laughs> which I I'm still geeking out on and I've had that for 10 years I can't believe that I've got it I live in the time in human history where you have an electric drill without a cord on it and a light built in I just this kind of a and, I, and uh, is and are you um uh, speaking, uh, are you singing the praises to you know cordless uh, drills in general, or specifically to the Makita well, eighteen volt, and, and, and compared to maybe say the Dewalt or something else? I'm just well, trying to get a sense. Yeah, a bit. I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm not Makita. Doesn't. I'm not on their uh, roster, um, right? Right. But, but so to speak. But uh, yeah, we have some Dewalts at work, and they're like sledgehammers compared to the Makita. The Makita is more like a. 
it's just it's light and it's elegant and it's quick in comparison. And the DeWalt tools, I feel like, are made more for um, contractors. They really get used hard. I mean, you see DeWalt tools; they're those big men using them hard. And I, I guess they're made that way. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the key is for me this particular model is like um, it, it's just a perfect fit for who I am and what I want from it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. And it, it could be any brand. It's not that it's a Makita. It's just that, right. that that's who happened to make that one. So. And uh, it, it might be helpful to hear a little bit about the kinds of things that you make or do with, uh, with the tools. Cause oh, yeah. like your art is not necessarily pastels on paper. It's, <laughs> it's no. something else, right? Right. I'm not sure what it is either. Um, but, um, <laughs> They're, uh, they're phantoms, they're fictions, they're, 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 but they're physical. They're, they're very physical. They're three dimensional, three dimensional. And so what a lot of what I do is, um, is, uh, analogous or is, is hand in hand with the trade that I, that I was raised in, which is auto body and, um, auto body collision repair, restoration, customization. So a lot of the, the, these toys that I make use very, very similar processes and materials. So the Makita, I may, I may drill, I'll be drilling holes with it in one minute and a minute later I may be flipping open the chuck and putting a polishing pad in it and using it for a buffer with a small foam pad. And then I might you turn around and use it for a lathe, right? I might, I might spool up, clamp it into a vise and put a rod in it and put a small wheel or, or a disc in it and, uh, and, and, and use it actually as a little benchtop lathe. So, um, uh, I think a couple times I've used it as a flashlight, <laughs> but, you know, but I've already spoken about my love for the light in that thing. But um, yeah. And then, you know, when, when it comes down to it and you're hanging as an artist, you're hanging a show. Um, it's just, a, it's just the most basic thing in the world at that point. It's you put a Phillips bit in it and you, you hang your show or you, you know, a hell of, work on the house with it, work on the car with it. You put a socket, a socket attachment. I use it as a, as a, as a wrench. Um, mm -hmm. So anything that you need to turn or spin within a certain scale, uh, it's just marvelous. Uh, I can't, yeah. I'm sitting here talking about that Makita drill is sort of weird. Uh, yeah. I must like it more than I even thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's uh. weird. What a, well, simple minds are easy to please, so <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I think. <laughs> so, so uh, in in your um, workshop of other um, physical things, um, you have a third suggestion for us, a third recommendation, um, which I think maybe is not so much a specific one as maybe a general category. Uh, you're talking about what's inside your five gallon bucket. Oh yeah, so the. Yeah, it occurred to me that after I sent that image that that painted on the outside of that bucket, that bucket is modified into a very inside joke that uh, I'll just deal with this now so if you don't have to ask. But the reason it says let's poo this instead of let's do this is that's an inside joke from the first time I did Art Miami. The one time I did Art Miami, the, the sort of peak of the career I was thought I was supposed to have where you do the big art things. And I ended up driving from Wichita to Miami to do New Penny, that toy store. And it was just the, mm -hmm. by far the, the apex of my career at the time. And due to a series of sort of unfortunate events, by the time I got to Miami with all my artwork in tow, I ended up not having a hotel room 
having driven 22 hours straight down the length of Florida or something like that out of Alabama and ended up parked outside of a park in Miami with all my stuff at four o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden I had to, um, let's just say I had a bodily process that immediately had to be attended to. And I had to <laughs> dump my bucket of, <laughs> of tie downs out and use, <laughs> and use that to, to take a dump at four in the morning in downtown Miami. And I thought, so this is what arrival looks like. <laughs> well, this is what art looks like. Yeah. yeah when you exactly. get really big, you're pooping in a van in Miami. Yeah, right, right. This is success. With Kansas plates and wondering why the hell did I believe what they told me in graduate school? And, um, and so that bucket, uh, a few friends that know me well, and now you or, <laughs> no, that's what that's all about. That was a, sort of a nod to that. Back to the mm -hmm. point of the contents of the bucket. But I, you, you're filling it with new things now, Well, right? yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't use it. Uh, we have a toilet in the house, so that's <laughs> bonus points for that. And there's always Starbucks on the road. But um, the uh, uh, no, the tie-downs, the bungee cords, the tie-downs, the zip ties, those things are absolutely invaluable because a lot of what I use, I use a lot of found objects, a predominance of found objects in my work. I mean, my, my toys are not made out of toy parts. They're made out of found objects or the guts of found objects. And Can you give me an example? I'm, I'm, I'm such as what? Yeah. Okay. So um, like when we lived in Wichita and uh, that was a pretty good picking ground, there's a, it's a, it's a city that's had a lot of aircraft industry over the years, still has some, a lot of cottage industries. And you drive by these old businesses and they'd be, you know, timed out. So this stuff would be shoved out in the back or out to the street. Big old, I built a piece out of a 1949 um, Kelvinator refrigerator. So a 1949 Kelvinator refrigerator was built by the Nash Automobile Company. And so it's got all these automotive motifs and everything and the stamp steel. It's a piece I built Celestial Mechanic out of, which is at the Ulrich Museum. I can send you links to that. At any rate, so here's this refrigerator that has got this fantastic amount of parts and potential, right? All these stamped steel and these chrome medallions and the structures. Well, if you're going to drag that thing home, you've got to tie it down, <laughs> depending on what you have to drive. I mean, that's a pretty big object. But there's other things that I that I will see, just uh, just uh, or people will give me things for God's sake. People give me too much stuff, but their their intentions are good. But sometimes I get these things; they're just they're just awkward, and they're too big for the vehicle. Like we drive this little old Mazda car. I don't even have a van these days, and so I I try to jam these things into the trunk of this car, and then the tie downs make it possible for me to get that whole thing home with the least amount of humiliation. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, does that make any sense? Yeah, exactly. These, these, the kinds of materials I used can be really odd shapes or or uh, elaborate things, and I, maybe I just want some pieces from them. But I have. But the honorable thing is to take the whole thing from the person who's trying to get rid of it, take it apart later, use what I can use, and then recycle what's left. But the first thing that has to happen is I have to get it home. Right, right. And I've, yeah, that's how I've noticed that um, 
people have stopped learning to tie knots because they use these straps and tie downs, which are actually <laughs> probably even better than knots. But um, that's where knots have gone is they've um, been replaced by straps and ratchets and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm of the school and a friend put this on me and he was right. He goes, well, if you can't tie a knot, tie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And, and that's what my tie, that's what my knots look like. Like, Oh, Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> Those are all going to have to excellent. come loose. He'll probably make it. But I like that. You can't tie a knot, tie a lot. And I, we're, we're, at, we're at that point in history. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, it's you've got tie downs. You've got ratchets. You've got oh, these yeah. straps. I mean, that stuff is just I, – I, I mean, I've used it for other stuff. I mean, it, it's just an incredibly economical, effective way to have, that, to have a stuff that has my back when I see a thing that I – wish to have to make something from it because when I'm when I'm on the on task when I've got a vision for a piece to make these things just appear I mean it, it's you know it's kind of like when you buy you think you buy a rather unique car maybe as an example and then all of a sudden you start seeing them all over because all of a sudden your trait your eye is redirected towards the thing the mm -hmm. certain thing and so you start seeing that thing and with my practice, since I don't, when I make things, they're not made from raw materials. They're made largely from found objects. Um, then I start to see them. And when I see them, all the, the, to consummate that, to, to create that piece, to achieve at it, then, you know, there, there's the point of acquisition. And since the stuff I use is usually timed out or discarded or whatever, Generally speaking, I can get my hands on it, but again, if I can't get it to the studio, it's of no use. Like, so, so I'm I'm interested in, in where you find the found objects. Do you like okay? If you have a vision, and you're you're needing to begin to make this thing. Do you begin to kind of drive aimlessly through neighborhoods or the industrial areas, primed to to see, or do you start going through Craigslist looking for free stuff, or or do you just sort of open your arms to the universe and say, I don't know how it's going to come. You're going to arrive somehow or other. 33% uh, of all those. And then one, <laughs> and then, and 1% magic. Um, <laughs> and you want to hear the 1% magic story? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll try to make it quick, but Vicki and I were, we were living in Portland, Maine, which was a foreign country to me because we came out of Kansas and you know, the Midwest still has a lot of space, right? People have space out here. And so mm -hmm. there are places in Kansas I, I could go back in the early 2000s where World War II guys who are World War II veterans had like 40 acres of scrap metal, right? The, mm -hmm. Most of those people are gone now, but as little as to five years ago, I could still, I knew places I could go in Kansas where I could spend a day walking acreage looking at piles of parts, things to make things from. Those places are now gone to me because those people have passed away. But when we were in Portland, Maine, I set out to do my thesis work about a woman who tried to build a pre-World War II racing car uh, because she wanted because the war industry had given her the sense that she was created equal in the and this, the whole thing built around this idea that women in war are given an equality that then's taken away again. So I'm trying to build this vintage pre-war hand-built racing car while we're living in Portland, Maine, where that stuff is just not available. And I'm racking my brains about how to find it. So I did use some Craigslist and I, I you know, I, I just tried everything possible. Well, Vicki and I are driving to work one more. I'm taking her to work and we're in heavy traffic. 
and this pickup pulls in front of us with this octogenarian couple in it, new Chevy pickup. And in the back of that pickup is a World War II era P-51 Mustang drop belly fuel tank. It's literally the torpedo-shaped fuel tanks they put into the wings of World War II air fighter craft in the back of a brand-new Chevy pickup. And I go, holy shit, because it, they use those for body work for the early land speed record cars in the California, the SoCal Racer and stuff, and the Bonneville Salt Flats cars. After World War II, guys were using those fuel tanks to build the first streamlined race cars. So I see this thing in there. This is completely magical moment. And Vicky goes, oh, shit, I'm going to be late for work. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, please. And she said, yeah, you have to do this. Anyway, I follow these people. They're pulling into the scrap metal yard to have the thing <laughs> to throw the thing into the crush pile. And I run up and bang on the door. And the guy goes, well, yeah, you can have it. We're just cleaning out our property for our daughter's wedding. And they had a place up by Standish Lake. And they go, why don't you come up and go through the rest of our stuff? So I got that fuel tank. And then that afternoon I went out there and they had old car frames out in their woods and more fuel tanks. You just can't, I'd say you can't make that shit up. Um, but it, that's, wow. that's the 1%. And then the other three are also true. Yeah. That's really fantastic. But that, oh, that, I still can't, I can't, I can't explain how that, that to me is, is, is borders on, on spiritual that moment it was there's just really no explanation the the, the odds of me landing between behind them in traffic uh two minutes yeah. before they pulled into the scrapyard for a thing that can't be bought for love nor money um that i specifically needed i don't know what to tell you uh kevin <laughs> about that one um that's yeah. not, it sounds far-fetched but i have a witness so well have you have you ever heard of the term uh pronoia no Tell me. Well, you know what you know what paranoia is, right? Sure. It's where right. you believe that the universe is conspiring against you. Right, right. Well, pronoia is where you believe the universe is conspiring to help you. <laughs> well, so that was a that was a moment of pronoia. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I had not heard that before. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it 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 absolutely felt that way, and uh, I mean, that was two thousand seven. Yeah. And uh, and I still think about that like. My God, what are the odds? And uh, yeah, yeah, no, that was that yeah. was a pronoic uh, moment, and the universe really is conspiring to try and make wow. you succeed. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your fourth uh, tool. Uh, I hate to kind of maybe move it to the mundane, but no, nothing. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not actually mundane. Um, that, that, uh, so those books, those three ring binders. Um, I'm a big fan of books on paper and um, I still consume, I mean, I consume a lot of imagery when I'm, I do a lot of research. Research is really the thing that one of the things that attracts me most to being an active artist where I get attention in a sense by that, I mean that I get enough attention for what I make that encourages me to make more of it. <laughs> it's that I love researching. I, I, it's a form of archeology, span I guess. How do you find a thing and where is the thing that you wish to find? And, what else will you find when you're there? And now in, the, and, you know, in this era of the web, that, that we live in unending rainfall of, of images. And um, uh, I think that was, sorry, that was Umberto Echo, I think, that said that. But uh, at any rate, the, uh, that might have been a quote. But the thing is, is that uh, I, I find these images of these really rarefied or lovely mid-century toy packages, model kit boxes, toys, 
uh, you know, from all over the world. And these are not objects that are available to me. And they're not the kind of thing that anyone has really sought to do a really beautiful series of coffee table books about. Sure, there are some some pieces out there, some out there that are mentioned, but but the only way I have access to them is really through the, the internet. But I but I want them as studio materials, as images, because I really pour over them. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll, it's as basic as I'll go to Google image search, I'll hit images, I'll go to my tools and I'll hit large. So I get a big enough image that I can print on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And I make my own books. I make my own coffee. Table oh, books, interesting. Uh, images. And I never tire of looking through those, but I suppose that's not, that's, that's not a very radical thing to say when, you know, those of us that have our own music playlist, I don't tend to tire of the music, my music playlist either, because I, I think I have, right. I, I have the best taste of any human that's ever. <laughs> my, um, mu- my music is the best ever and my images are the best too, that I choose right. for me. Just, and so those books are, if I get sort of a little bit stuck or I, I want I think, well, in 1959, how did someone paint, how did the illustrator show reflection on the windshield of a car? And then I'll look at those images and it'll be boxes that were done by French manufacturers and English and Americans and Japanese. And those are, you know, you know, those are real illustrators, real people painting those paintings. Right. And so you look at those toy boxes and you can see how they were trained to create the effect of window glass or the reflection off of a chrome. And it's just an endless source of fascination for me. And I can't go to an art museum and get that information. Right, right, exactly. So so you've kind of replicated Pinterest in three-ring binders. Absolutely. I use Pinterest a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Pinterest is way, way underrated. If you want to have a real thrill, do you know about same energy? No. Type in... Same dot energy okay. for a image search engine that will blow your mind. Okay. Because what it's going to deliver are images that have the same energy, the same atmosphere oh my God. as your key image. So you, you have to you have to highlight an image and then do that? Well, you can do it. You can import an image, you can right. select okay. an image and just um uh, that turns up and have more of the same. You can, uh, yeah, you can import an image into the the engine because Pinterest but, already does feed that to you, right? No, but this is this is more specific. This is more specific. This is yeah. the feeling of the image. Oh my goodness! Um, okay, gives, now you got my full attention. I'm intrigued what that's going to be about. It, it gives you the the same atmosphere, the same. Uh, quality of style but not the same style and so it could be anything is that's in the same energy as that image oh that's fascinating oh Um, i'm glad we're doing this interview (laughs) 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 look at me learn (laughs) yeah well um so uh yeah so i like this idea of 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 a of a three ring binder version of pinterest boards yeah and and, and, and i'm the same way i love looking through my collections Yeah. yeah because it's sort of um I'm discovering what it is that I like. Yeah, it's 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 not, and it's not entirely self-referential. I mean, it's because I'm looking at the creations of other persons. You know, I'm not looking at the things that I've created. Right. Um, we don't even decorate with my artwork. It's all in boxes. Um, I, I'm, I'm notorious for orphaning my own pieces. So as soon as they're done, all I can think about is what will I make next. And um, 
but so, you know, there's a sense that while I'm looking at all these images I collect or listening to the music that I listen to most of that, that's sort of self-referential, but it's not because what I'm, what I, I, it's not just that because I'm, I'm looking into the lives of others and, and their, and their moment in the world. And um, I'm also looking at the type of imagery that I source that like that commercial imagery, it was gone through so quickly and not and thrown out. It was never expected to be celebrated or analyzed or it was strictly for, and then, and then every now and then I'll stumble upon pure gold where you've got this image where the artist that was tasked with creating this robot illustration per se, or this other thing, they really weren't that talented. (laughs) (laughs) And I, my heart, I love those the most where the (laughs) images are just so, they tried so hard and couldn't do the thing. I, but the thing, but it ended up going on the box anyway. Oh, I just cherish that stuff because it's so human. It's yeah. so, it's, it's kind of like folk art. In, yeah, it's, it's on, yeah, it's like folk. It's so they tried so hard, but maybe they 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 lived in a culture that had never seen this thing for another product. Say the toy the toy was made in one culture for export to another culture. They weren't even given in some likelihood. They weren't even given the thing that it was supposed to be. They were just right. told, and and so you you open the box and the toy is one thing and the illustration is is this right. incredible beautiful mutation of it. I just love that stuff because there's a human life in there somewhere. I want to send you a little paperback book that I made called Renette's Fishes. Um, these were f- fishes that were painted uh, in like 1700s, um, and they were color. And they were basically painted and colored by people who had never seen the fishes. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking okay. about. Okay, and and they're and it's just they're just beautiful in a way. They were like Indonesian fishes painted yeah. by people who hadn't been there. They were based off of descriptions. Yeah. Oh, See, that's, and that's, it was and and there's a certain um, naivete and a um, cleverness and a brilliance because they were half imaginary and half real yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about i I just i love that most because what i feel like i see and and it 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 speaks a little bit to why i just don't i look i look very little at digitally constructed imagery and part of the reason i look at the hand done stuff particularly of an era before people had the web was they in all likelihood a lot of these illustrators had little or nothing to work on but they had a deadline and a, and a need <laughs> and a need to make a living, right? They, they they had two things: they had a deadline and imagination. They had a deadline and imagination yeah. and a desire not to get fired. <laughs> you know, that's and, art. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Once people realize that, that's their that's that's their MFA. You don't need to go spend any money. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's all. That's that you spent two years of MFA to realize you knew that all along. Right, exactly. But, but yeah, no, that's exactly it. And you see, and you and you start to. My imagination goes to, well, who is this human? And and uh, because there's a human in that thing, you know, and uh, it somewhere in there. And yeah. uh, and I, I and I, I I'm doing I'm doing my own illustrations now. I've, I've started to paint. Last couple of years, I've sort of made myself paint my own illustrations instead of source vintage stuff and crop it up. There's something really satisfying about for me about not being really, really good at, at the painting because I, I, it's a very, I try hard and I don't quite get it. And there's something I really like about that. <laughs> well, um, 
There are so many other questions. I know that you have a whole workshop of tools we would love to hear, but we have only a few minutes. So tell us about either a recent project that you're working on or something that you want to share with our listeners that you've been involved in. Well, one of the things that I think, because it would be more accessible to the listeners than me speaking about my next imagination, my next imaginative run through the hills, is um, that the, and I mentioned it in our in our document is the the Raise the Toygantic film that Gail Lerner uh, made in 2015, the, the LA based uh, writer director, um, and Gail had seen my work a number of years ago, and when she was in Maine and when we were there, we crossed paths. At any rate, 2015, uh, she made a 26-minute long short film based on a key piece of mine, an eight-foot-long toy ocean liner that I built, sunk it in a lake, and then a year later went back, brought it out of the lake, and presented it as if I'd found it and had uncovered the entire history of it um, as a, a line of large toy ships that sunk. Every kid that got them, they sunk. Uh, <laughs> and so she made an entire film on that. Um, short, short, long film, I say, because it's 26 minutes. I think she calls it a long short. But that was an incredible experience because for me, what it did was um, I tend to leap from one piece to another, like someone jumping across a, a creek, jumping from stone to stone, not thinking that those stones have a relationship to each other. And the pieces that she used in that film, I never thought of them as being part of a narrative. They were each independent, sort of standalone things that pointed at this or that or the other conceptually. And she, when she made that film in a way, she gave my work back to me more dimensional, more connected and more meaningfully than I had ever imagined myself. And if you ever, as an artist or whatever writer, whatever creative person, if you ever have the good fortune to have someone hand put a great deal of their own time and money and other persons because of the actor's, into a body of work that uses your work and then hands it back to you enlarged. It's just one of the most, um, it, I'm just so profoundly grateful. I just don't know what else to say. And it's not that it's a, there's anything masterpiece about any of it. It's just lovely and it's funny and it's astute and it just opened my eyes to what I was doing. And uh, I can get very tunnel. I get a very tunnel vision, a very linear person when I'm working, I shut everything out in order to achieve the, the goal, right? To finish the thing. And in doing so and in, in living that way, um, a lot of the beauty that's um, to my left and my right and above and below, I miss it because I'm not paying attention to what people are trying to tell me, which is, say to me, which is, we like what you do too. And here's why. And um, so that film is probably the thing that, because the other reason I think I should bring it up is I didn't make the film. I mean, it's somebody, <laughs> it's somebody else's work. And, right, right. And, and she took my work and made something out of it that I hadn't even imagined. And that, right. was, that was really profound. For me, that was a, is a very profound gift from her. And Yeah. That's called Raise the Toy-Gantic. Yeah, or Toy-Gantic. Nobody really knows how the piece is pronounced. <laughs> That's sort of an <laughs> okay. inside joke. But it's a, the piece is at a museum. You can look it up. Um, it's, a, it's a really robust narrative. I put a lot of work into the narrative. And Gail used most of what I had done, she used. And then she wove a bunch of my other pieces into, the, into a story okay. with it. And it's, 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 it's delight. It's 26 minutes that you won't mind not getting back. It's, it's okay. Well, thank you so yeah. much. I had not seen it, but I, it's now queued up and I'm all 
watch it as soon as we get You'll off recognize of this. a lot of the actors they're, they're like cohen brothers people that cohen brothers use and what have you it's it's just charming and and, it, and i got to be on set uh, i'd never seen them i'd never been on set and I, I didn't realize how these improv people how how fascinating it is to watch uh, improv actors run with an idea and create a thing from it ah it yeah. was such a great experience to professionals. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you again for these. I just love talking about art and the tools that make art and why we make art and how we can. So thank you for um, these great suggestions. Um, we'd love to have you back again talking about more things in your workshop. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. So thanks again. Thank you for the gifts of the ideas and the, and the, the, the words and all this. This you, you, You've both been a gift to me, and I appreciate that immensely. I, oh, wow. Really, that's, really, that's high praise. Well, so I, much, I, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm high on my second COVID shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, okay. I'm especially right with the world right now, and you guys, <laughs> Excellent. you guys are part of it. So thank you so much. Hey everybody, it's your host Mark and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Cool Tools show and I also wanted to let you know that we've got a lot more going on at Cool Tools than just this podcast. We also have the Cool Tools website which has a new tool review every day and you can get there by going to cool-tools.org. We also have four different newsletters that you can subscribe to and you can subscribe to those from the Cool Tools page. We have this podcast that you're listening to right now we also have a YouTube channel where we review tools. Check that YouTube channel out by going to youtube.com cooltools. And one of the things I'd like to ask you is if you're really enjoying everything that we are producing, go to our Patreon page and support us there. You can sign up and give us as little as $1 a month, and that would mean a lot to us. The money that we get from Patreon goes towards a lot of things. We transcribe our podcast interviews so that you can read them online. We pay for editing of our podcasts and for our videos. We pay our contributors. We have video production costs. We have equipment costs. We have hosting costs. And the money you give us through Patreon also goes to support Cool Tools Lab. Anything you give is a huge help. And one of the things that we do is if you are a contributor to Patreon, we'll give you a shout-out on air. And so I have a few people here to thank this week. Mark Lyonage, Micah Gates, Monty Zukowski, Patrick James McNally, Robert Cohen, Scott, Spence Lloyd, Steve Avery, Steve Golden, Steve Levine, Tom Hess, William Phillips, Aaron Nipper, Darab Patel, Glenn Mercer, Jay Walker, Jeff Bonaire, Ryan Jarrell, Pat Daly, Patrick Kennedy, Troy Wallet, Mike Camerate, Nicole Harkin, Tim Youssef, Scott Reed. Thanks all of you for supporting Cool Tools. And if you would like to have a shout out, go over to the Patreon page and sign up. And thanks for listening to the Cool Tools podcast. We'll see you next week.